It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm Julie Perkins. Today I am honored to be joined in the studio by John Adler, the National President of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, and Steve Greninger, the Senior Director of Communications and Marketing at the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund, to get an inside look at the upcoming Ride and Run to Remember charity race and trending topics in the law enforcement community, such as the rise the recent rise of the officer assaults. Fed Talk is brought to you by Long-Term Care Partners, LLC. Long-Term Care Partners administers the Office of Personnel Management sponsored federal law long-term care insurance program. Um, But first, I'd like um, just to welcome into the studio John and Steve, and um, I want you all introduce yourselves. John? Good morning, Julie. Good morning, Steve. As you made clear, no mystery to me or my title, Uh, represent federal law enforcement nationwide, approximately 26,000 active and retired federal law enforcement officers. I hope to join that latter group at some point. Um, We are a nonpartisan professional association, and we strive to serve as the voice of federal law enforcement, in particular in Washington, D.C., where our illustrious legislators uh, reside. Great to be here on this solemn day of remembrance. And good morning, John and uh, and Julie. Uh, glad to be here. I'm Steve Greniger. I'm the Senior Director of Communications for the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund, uh, which is a nonprofit organization here in Washington, D.C., uh, dedicated to telling the story of American law enforcement and making it safer for those who serve. So, John, you know, today is September 11th, and... Um, why don't you uh, talk about the federal law enforcement officers that um, um, died on 9-11 and the most recent ones that uh, you would like to mention? Sure. Thank you, Julie. Yeah, it, it's an honor for me to be here today and to embrace this, this, this very important historical day, this, this historical uh, point of, of remembrance and certainly being here with my colleague Steve as I serve on the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial with him. And, and, and others as well. Uh, I'd like to just take a moment and recognize among the 72 law enforcement officers who were fatally wounded on 9-11, three of them were federal law enforcement officers, and I'd like to uh, acknowledge and honor their ultimate sacrifice. Uh, Leonard Hatton with the FBI, Craig Miller with the Secret Service, and Richard Guadano with the federal, um, I'm sorry, Fish and Wildlife Service. Now, subsequent to uh, 9-11, mm-hmm. uh, the numerous first responders who served down there, I was one of them, were unfortunately exposed to the, the, the lethal uh, toxins um, by virtue of the collapse. And unfortunately, many have become ill since then. Two of our federal first responders, unfortunately, passed away from cancer that has been connected to the extensive toxin exposure from 9-11. And I'd like to honor their memory and their sacrifice as well. That would be Billy Sheldon from ATF, and Zach Toro from the United States Marshal Service. Thank you. Um, Steve? Yeah, actually, a uh, uh, great place to start. Like John mentioned, there were 72 law enforcement officers killed that day, <clears throat> uh, and uh, it is the deadliest day in law enforcement history to date. Um, I think uh, everyone remembers where they were that day, uh, that morning when uh, tragedy really started striking us here in our homeland. Um, so, uh, in addition to the three officers that John mentioned, um, comprising that group of 72 officers, uh, there were 37 officers from the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, 23 officers from the New York Police Department, five officers from the New York uh, State Department of Tax and Finance, 
three officers from the New York State Office of Court Administration and actually one New York Fire Department marshal um, who was a sworn officer with powers of arrest um, who were comprised in that group. Uh, and as I look here and see mm-hmm. the, the time on the clock, uh, staff at the National Law Enforcement Office with Memorial are probably just finishing up uh, uh, a small private ceremony they had this morning, uh, placing a wreath at the wall uh, where those names are engraved. Interestingly enough, um, the uh, leadership and the board of directors for the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial uh, made a conscious decision to be sure that those 72 names were uh, engraved on the memorial in succession. So they are all on line 23 on the west wall of panels 9 through 22. And uh, to see them all in one line there really is mm-hmm. striking, moving. Yeah, I don't know if uh, uh, many of our listeners have been able to go down to that memorial, but if they haven't, they really need to take the time. It is quite um, awe-inspiring to see the names of all the um, officers listed on that memorial. Yeah, the memorial currently bears the names of 20,538 uh, law enforcement officers uh, who have died in the line of duty. Uh, so uh, on that west wall, you've got a really long line there that uh, carries a lot of significance of those officers' names. And um, has there been a, a, a change in how you're determining who, uh, which officers are, are dying in connection with 9-11? Yeah. So as John mentioned, uh, there were a lot of, uh, of, of law enforcement officers and first responders and others who um, gave, uh, just gave endlessly of their time. Um, uh, it, it's a part of their passion to go and help work in rescue and recovery operations uh, after the terrorist attacks. And uh, as John mentioned, they were exposed to all kinds of toxins and uh, debris and uh, cancer-borne agents and whatnot. Um, So there have been a number of cases submitted um, of officers who have died, uh, who who did uh, perform operations and rescue and recovery work there, um, who have been submitted. And the Memorial Fund over the past few years has worked with the uh, World Trade uh, Center Health Program, as well as the National Institute for Occupational Health and Safety, NIOSH, uh, to begin to establish some baselines that these cases can all be uh, reviewed from. So we're in the process now of working with uh, the departments that have submitted cases uh, to work through those, and, and undoubtedly there will be more coming, I'm sure. As I recall, a few years back, Congress passed a health care and compensation recognizing the, the lingering long-term effects of all the first responders on 9-11. And I know FLEO played a big role in um, getting that passed. It was a long fight, as I recall. Yeah. And, and what the viewers can't see is uh, I'm nodding my head vigorously as, as Julie <laughs> uh, references the uh, the James Adroga 9-11 Health and Compensation mm-hmm. Act, which we are currently engaging members of Congress to renew to ensure that the funding is there for the families and, uh, and for those who, who continue to need screening and treatment like myself but are too afraid to go for it. Uh, it's a very critically important bill. Our country needs to stand behind not only our veterans in the military, but our folks in law enforcement, our public safety um, officers across the country to make sure that we do get the screening and treatment that we need so that we can continue the good fight. Um, it's a very important piece of legislation, but it does also establish, Julie, as I think you were alluding to, the recognition that the toxins that the first responders were exposed to have taken a considerable toll on those who were there. And NIOSH, the leading sort of uh, medical entity that has researched the impact, has properly concluded and set up certain latency periods for 50-plus cancers that people, unfortunately, are now experiencing as a result. Over 50 forms of cancer. So uh, a dire outlook, but you know what? Julie, if you ask any one of us, we charge back in just as quickly as the first time. Mm. We're just a little timid and, 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 and sort of hesitant to go for our doctor exams. Well, I, <laughs> I think most people are. <laughs> and, and I'll just add that, you know, it's, it's that passion that mm-hmm. John just exhibited and <clears throat> so many of mm-hmm. his law enforcement colleagues exhibit that I, that I find remarkable. Uh, the fact that any one of them would run back into a situation like that 
um, with the the notion of being able just to save one person. Right. Um, uh, it's it's uh, I'm moved by that. Right. Yeah. Right. I think you saw a similar like first responders in Boston. They just run run toward as everyone's running away. You know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's a something in the in the character and makeup of uh, first responders. Um, we're going to have to take a, a break real quick, and um, we'll be back for our next next segment. Uh, you've been listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM, and we'll continue our discussion after this break. And a word from our sponsor. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today, uh, we're featuring a discussion about law enforcement here on September 11th, and also the upcoming Ride and Run to Remember Charity Race. Um, Right before our break, we were talking about renewal of the Health uh, and Compensation Act for 9-11 first responders. And um, during the break, you... John, you had mentioned that it's up for renewal next year. So I imagine you want everyone to marshal their forces again and talk to their congressman about um, renewing it um, even more long-term, I imagine, than the, the five years or six years it was originally set for. That's correct. Yeah, uh, uh, Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, a good friend of ours who championed the first um, James Adroga bill, uh, reintroduced the current one, which is on the Hill, and all the different organizations who were impacted by 9-11 are actively engaging members of Congress on both sides of the aisles and in both chambers to uh, reauthorize the bill. And I think the big challenge is uh, the extent of the time. You know, one piece of it is the Victim Compensation Fund. The other is the continued funding for what we call the Centers of Excellence so that the first responders, and I think there's approximately 30 to 50,000 still currently enrolled in the program, can go seek uh, uh, treatment for any of these issues that unfortunately arise, again, subsequent to the the, uh, sustained toxin exposure. So yes, we would really appreciate your sort of communicating with your elected official and let them know that it's extremely important to ensure the funding is there to provide this screening and treatment for our first responders. Yeah, as I recall, it it took a long time, but it was finally, I think, the public um, that stood behind all the groups, the law enforcement groups that got it passed back in 2010. I recall seeing uh, a lot of uh, law enforcement on various shows just letting people know, hey, this is this is out there and we need your your help. So um, for all of all those with um, um, that want to call their congressman to let them know it's, it's coming up for renewal, they should do so. You'd be surprised how effective that is when you uh, reach out to your congressman. Sometimes they get back to you. <laughs> um, now, you have a couple other things going on, um, Fleoa, on the Hill, don't you, John? Yes. Yeah, so <clears throat> in addition to, uh, obviously, today being the, the solemn day with the 14th year of remembrance, we are unfortunately confronted with the prospect of another shutdown by yeah. way of either the Congress not passing the budget, or we also have concurrent with that the debt ceiling issue and the fact that we have surpassed it and uh, action needs to be taken by the Congress on that as well to either extend it or or the government will experience a complete or partial shutdown. So we were concerned uh, during the last shutdown that fe- some federal law enforcement officers were disarmed by their agencies who uh, concluded, which we would disagree with, that since they were furloughed by virtue of the shutdown, they need to surrender all their government assets, and that would include a government-issued firearm. Unfortunately, that created a dangerous situation for some of our or many of our federal law enforcement officers across the country by rendering them uh, disarmed and, and without the means to defend themselves. And the other piece of it is that even though the country or the, or the Congress may ultimately lead the government into a partial or complete shutdown, it doesn't mean we cease to be prepared to respond to a critical incident. You know, bad guys are rational opportunists mm-hmm. and, and terrorists in particular. So we're creating an unacceptable vulnerability by taking weapons away. So 
we uh, we appealed to Congressman Collins to introduce uh, H.R. 2137, which is the Federal Law Enforcement Self-Defense and Protection Act. And what this bill will do, well, it'll prevent, you know, in the event of another shutdown, it'll prevent the disarming of federal law enforcement officers. You know, law enforcement has to be deemed essential and critical during a, a shutdown. And even if the pay has to be deferred, we need to ensure that our homeland is protected our federal law enforcement officers are able to defend themselves and they remain armed during that situation. Okay. And you th- do you, that's coming up, uh, what, three weeks from now, the potential shutdown? It's looming. Yeah. We have, again, unfortunately, the combination of whether or not the Congress will pass <sighs> the budget. And then we also have this debt ceiling issue as well. Um, in light of the uh, campaign, um, uh, showcasing that's been going on. We expect there'll be a lot of floor debate um, on these issues. Funny, I was sort of tuning it out because we have our, um, we've had so many almost shutdowns um, that, you go, hey, here we go again. But it sounds like this one actually um, may happen at least for a few days. Yeah, um, we don't know if we're going to experience another Congress that cried wolf right. or if the wolf's going to eat us. So uh, we need to sort of stay on top of it. And again, you know what, you know, Julie, just like you mentioned with the 9-11 health bill, for your listeners out there, if you don't want your government to shut down, if you value your services, if you value the protection that uh, is provided, please contact your, your elected officials and let them know they need to put on their big boy and big girl pants and sit down and resolve this and work it out in the best interests of the citizenry and not just take your football and go home and cry foul. So come on, folks, let's huddle up. This is a priority issue. Let's get maybe, this resolved. Maybe work for more than a few days in September. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably shouldn't criticize them too openly, but my goodness. Yeah. The, everyone else seems to be able to work five days a week. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, I let point. my feelings down about that. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, do you have anything to add? No, I would just echo what John said. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, part of our responsibility as citizens is, in this country is to um, let our elected representatives know our opinions and our and our uh, our wishes. Uh, and if they don't hear from uh, the citizens they represent, uh, who's going to hold their feet to the fire? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think people get a little too cynical and um, and just stop reaching out, but they really need to do something for this critical. Um, importance. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned just a minute ago the power of a phone call, and I think sometimes uh, in today's busy age, we maybe underestimate the power of a phone call, mm-hmm. um, or or if not that, an email or letter to an elected representative to. to I be live sure. in the district, so I have a <laughs> a little bit of a problem with uh, with having representatives in Congress, but yeah, I mean. It's, it's still worth. I've, I've sent emails. I've sent phone calls. Sure. Yeah. Sure, I mean, yeah. why not? And then they ask me where I live and kind of tune me out. But it's worth. You at know, least it's one of those trying. things we need to get. This is a new slogan. It's called yeah. constituents matter. Right. You know, voters talk and 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 the other part may walk. And uh, yeah, we we sort of want to remind them every now and then that they have to sort of be responsive to their constituency and not their individual egos. And it's a delicate balancing act for them, but it is on us, as Steve mentioned, as citizens and as Americans, to exercise these freedoms that our predecessors fought hard to mm-hmm. sort of create for us and make sure they are reminded that, hey, hello, um, constituents matter. That's that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Steve, I know that you have some not so good news about um, some statistics about officer-related deaths, and I think that... Um, would also explain what what John's doing up on the hill to address um, these um, recent I don't want to say attacks but um, assaults and sure. deadly and 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 uh, ones that maim on sure. officers around the country. Yeah. So um, one of the things we always like to do when we um, <clears throat> talk with you guys uh, here is to share where where is where are we right now? What's the current uh, picture? Um, so for the year, we've lost 85 law enforcement officers in the line of duty compared to 77 at the same point in time last year, which is a 10% increase. Um, and, and there's been a lot of mention, a lot of talk um, about the past few weeks and how deadly they've been for law enforcement, um, uh, specifically in firearms-related incidents. Um, however, uh, a, a little uh, a little counter to that is the firearms-related incidents for this year are actually down 
by about 24% as of right now. That's good news. That is great news. Yeah. Um, now, that's a, a little bit in, in conflict or in contrast to what we've experienced here in the past few weeks. Um, but it is good to know that. The bad news behind that, though, is we are up 36% in our traffic-related incidents mm. with 38 officers killed this year compared to 28 at the same point in time last year. A number of those are single vehicle crashes, um, and that's an opportunity where we really feel like uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of advances can be made in safety uh, in these single vehicle crashes. We're constantly reminding officers you can't help uh, you can't help anyone if you don't arrive alive. Uh, distracted driving in the cruiser, uh, high rates of speed. You know, if you arrive at a at a scene eleven seconds later, um, chances are you're going to be able to render the help. Um, and if you don't get there, you will not be able to do that. Uh, and then where our deaths due to other causes are also up. Um, gosh, they're up forty percent. Uh, Twenty one officer fatalities compared to fifteen at the same point in time last year. Mm. And those other causes really encompass um, fatalities, all fatalities other than firearms or traffic related. So pre- predominantly, they're job-related illnesses, uh, heart attacks, but it would also include if, uh, if an officer falls to his or her death or is electrocuted or stabbed or something like that. Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, the thing to add to, to what Steve, you know, those, those statistics are very telling. But one in particular is the rise in ambushes against law enforcement. And we saw in 2014, the ambush was the leading cause of the law enforcement felonious fatality. So meaning in effect that for those violent attacks against law enforcement, there were 15 ambushes in 2014. That is a, a, a significant and very sort of disheartening statistic because what it's saying in effect is, or it's reinforcing the, this real nightmarish theme that it's open season on law enforcement. And, you know, I've been asked by reporters, why is this the case? Is it just a sequence of bad biorhythm and horoscopes? Is there some lunar eclipse going on? We don't know. Maybe it's the drinking water. We don't know. But the bottom line is it's unacceptable for law enforcement to be seen as a target for whether they're lone wolf, individuals, psychopaths, homicidal maniacs, people who just are DNA tilt. It is unacceptable in this society for law enforcement officers to be targeted for who we are and for our profession. And so um, what what efforts have you made? I know you've been on the Hill talking about this targeting of officers. Um, and uh, at one point, um, wanting to make it, I don't want to say, uh, use a legal term, protected class, but where um, uh, assaults on officers were treated differently um, or in a special category of crime. Um, but I know that you've been able to at least um, promote a um, accelerated sentencing um, act. Is that what's moving forward? or? Yeah, what, what we did, Julie, was we grouped together the, the disheartening uh, statistics. I mm-hmm. mentioned the ambush, um, you know, the high-profile uh, tragic murders of police officers Wenjin Liu and Rafael Ramos in New York, right. Brian Dixon, the, the Pennsylvania state trooper who was ambushed by that cowardly, I don't even dignify mm-hmm. him with his name, mm-hmm. um, more recently Deputy Goforth. Was 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 murdered in just horrific fashion. He was simply the because, in Texas. correct? Yeah. Who was at the gas station and just mm-hmm. for wearing the uniform, mm-hmm. um, for taking the oath, um, he was murdered by a, a psychotic coward. And we've seen recently in the FBI bulletins as well that groups such as ISIS have encouraged their lunatic followers to target military and law enforcement here domestically. We've seen three different instances um, this year where FBI and and local law enforcement were attacked, uh, I think in particular in June, June 2nd, June 7th, and June 17th. So what we did was we sort of tried to um, summarize the statistics and the incidents and appeal to Congress with, with a concept we call the Blue Shield Protection Act. And, you know, we were sort of hoping that they would recognize law enforcement as a group that is similar to the protected groups in the hate crime statute. Uh, When you look at law enforcement as a group, on an annual basis, approximately 50, 55,000 law enforcement officers are attacked. And among that group, approximately 15,000 sustain serious injury. 
that's pretty damning. Mm -hmm. And this is the group that sort of represents law and order to sustain the civility of democracy. And this group gets attacked 50 to 55,000 times a year. Unfortunately, that doesn't go noticed in the news media, who sort of uh, tends to focus more on on these incidents with, with the unarmed saints and the attacks and so forth. But it's an important thing for, for everyone to consider and understand. So what, we're, what we appeal to Congress in this Blue Shield Protection Act concept is, if nothing else, if you don't want to recognize law enforcement as a protected group or as a group that should be protected under a standalone statute similar to the concept of the hate crime statute, with all this talk about reducing the mandatory minimums for drug dealers, peddlers of death, why not increase the sentencing impact by a two levels minimum for anyone who targets law enforcement for a violent crime simply by virtue of who law enforcement officers are. So that would that would entail a two-level sentencing enhancement. Congressman Peter King um, stepped up to the plate, as he usually does on our behalf, and he put out a Dear Colleague letter to, to um, sort of float this concept and get interest for co-sponsorship for the Blue Shield Act of 2015. That's a—go a, a, ahead, Julie. Oh, I—, I, I... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, um, but I, I want to um, continue this important topic, um, but I have to take a brief break, um, and then let's get back to where you are with, and that's Congressman King from New York, right? Not yes, that, good, good, good clarification <laughs> there's, point. There's two Peters, and I'm like, I, I'm pretty sure it's not the one from Iowa, because Peter King from New York is always with um, law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um so let, let's uh, let's stop for a moment and take a break and hear from our sponsor. And when we return, um, we'll continue this discussion and see where this Blue Shield Act um, and hopefully have a, um, a successful conclusion to that, um, pushing that legislation through Congress. Maybe they can get something done this year. Maybe. <laughs> Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal law enforcement officer, then you know to do your job, you tap inside sources. To have a voice on policy and legislation, you join FLIOA. And when you want federal law enforcement officer news and up-to-date federal court decisions, you read FedAgent.com. If you aren't reading FedAgent.com, subscribe today. It's free. Don't let this source pass you by. I'm John Adler, president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500. And um, I wanted to continue our discussion on the Blue Shield Act. And Steve, you wanted to talk about um, on traffic stops and the, the dangers for law enforcement during those critical times. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as John mentioned a few minutes ago, last year ambushes were uh, a leading, uh, leading cause of uh, uh, law enforcement uh, fatalities, and uh, you know we're right back there again uh, right now this year with four ambushes to date, uh, based on information uh, we've gathered so far, um, which is preliminary data, I will say, but uh, it's it, it's fairly conclusive. But uh, even a little more troubling than that is we've had five officers feloniously killed during traffic stops this year. Mm. Uh, and, and, and that's another real cause of concern, uh, much like an ambush. Um, anytime an officer pulls someone over or encounters someone on the side of the road, it, it, you don't always know what you're approaching and walk, what walking up to. You know, you don't always know what's going to happen. Um, I think back to a case a couple of years ago, uh, Officer David Moore in Indianapolis, Indiana, pulled somebody over because they were missing a taillight. Um, and and he was uh, he was assassinated the minute he walked up to the car. He never had a chance uh, mm. to save himself. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it's a it's a tragic uh, scenario that I, 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 I outline there for you. And unfortunately, it happens far too often in this country. You know, I also think about uh, what John was saying with the number of assaults and injuries on law enforcement. 
I don't think I can think of another profession where 55,000 employees being assaulted would be anywhere close to acceptable uh, in our country. So I think we really do have to take a look at, um, you know, what is happening to the officers and the folks that we ask to go out and serve as our front line of defense and protect our communities and families. And, you know, to add to Steve's point, I just thought of with the traffic-related fatalities, uh, FLIOA joined with the National Sheriff's Association to express our concern with this app called the Waze, W-A-Z-E app, which was supported by, um, uh, I think it was Microsoft or Apple or a couple of others. And we were concerned that this app allowed motorists to simply enter as they drive by a location where a marked police vehicle, whether it's on the highway or a regular street, is located so anyone would have a precise location where a radio car, a police vehicle is parked. And we're concerned that in light of all these ambushes, in light of the, these vehicular fatal incidents, we don't necessarily want to advertise that. We do understand that um, a, a police presence will encourage motorists to drive maybe somewhat closer to the speed limits. But the Waze app could work if it sort of expanded it to a five-mile radius, so it didn't pinpoint the exact location, but if it sort of said, hey, be aware, police presence, a five-mile area, you would actually expand the area for which motorists might drive in less than a reckless fashion, as opposed to simply passing a known location and then Mm -hmm. speeding up because they see the radio car in their rearview mirror. So that's just another little um, uh, item that I think requires a little bit more focus. And we're hoping that the folks at Waze and Apple and Microsoft will reconsider this app and its intended purpose to help better protect our offices who are out there enforcing highway traffic laws. And, you know, another uh, tidbit, as, as John says, that I like to remind uh, everyone uh, in, in all of the interviews I do when talking about traffic-related fatalities, we as citizens, we, we, have, uh, we have a role here. Um, there is a law on the books in every state that when you see a law enforcement officer or first responder on the side of the road with its emergency lights on, you are required, when at all possible, to move over one full lane and give that officer uh, or first responder the space they need to uh, safely but efficiently uh, conduct their work. Uh, and you know, and I see it all the time. I see uh, I see people not only not moving over. I see people driving down the road like they can't even hear or see the ambulance or law enforcement officer and his cruiser behind them. Uh, I'm troubled by that. You know, it makes me question, uh, where did you learn to drive? And shame (laughs) on the person who didn't teach you the one of the most important rules of moving out of the way when there's a first responder trying to help someone. Yeah. Has has that always been um, a law? Because. That was something I learned recently after a friend of mine got pulled over. And I didn't realize it was nationwide. You know, I, I, I see signs on the highway, yeah. pull over when possible. But I didn't know that it was... Um, state by state, it took a, lot of, my, a long period my, of time. Um, and okay. I believe 1996 after, through 2012, the okay. last state passed the law. All right, this is after I got my driver's license. <laughs> 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 it's like, I don't remember that on the written test. But, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, we had a, a staff member a number of years ago who said the same thing. Uh, they had been pulled over uh, for uh, a traffic infraction. And the officer reminded her, you know, mm-hmm. the law in the state is that you you should pull over immediately. Uh, and the law in the state is that all these folks who keep whizzing by here uh, should be completely over a lane. Uh, a lot of folks don't know that it's the law in mm-hmm. their state. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a law in all the states now. So, uh, you know, uh, when at all possible. Uh, again, there are, you know, special circumstances where perhaps it could be dangerous for you to do that. But in most cases, um, our freeways and roadways uh, provide us uh, a, a, a lane or a, a side there where we can move over. Uh, and we should do that. And in particular, those who feel overwhelmingly compelled with self-importance that they have to text message <laughs> while driving from 40 to 60 to 80 miles per hour. What Steve is saying makes additional sense because we're sort of accounting for the texting margin of error. So if we can push these fools a little mm. bit more away from the officer and, you know, sort of yeah. in, involved in, in, in enforcing the law, it gives them a little bit more protection as, as these, these reckless in, individuals who feel compelled, again, to text 
Um, it's amazing that there was life at some point prior to text messaging, and we were able to drive from point A to point B without feeling compelled to engage in text messaging, which otherwise could even be accomplished by a phone call. But Yeah, it th- is amazing how people can't put the phone down and have to sit there and communicate. We finally got rid of the, made it at least handless in most states for the phone for conversations, and now they just pick it up and they text. It makes me nervous driving next to those people. Sure. So I imagine an officer pulled over on the side of the road doesn't want to have to deal with those those idiots uh, that are texting as they're going. True. Um, if I just want to add one more point back to the Blue Shield Act, which is mm-hmm. that, so after uh, Deputy uh, Darren Goforth was tragically killed, um, the more recent incident in Harris County, um, and this honorable man was was, was murdered by a, just a pathetic coward simply because he was wearing the uniform of, of law enforcement. So afterwards, President Obama called uh, Deputy Goforth's wife and in a release statement. And one of the things he had said to her was, quote unquote, targeting police officers is completely unacceptable and affront to civilized society. To me, if that is not the selling point to have legislation put through to better protect law enforcement than nothing is. That resonated with me. It should resonate with every member of Congress, irrespective of their donkey elephant affiliation. It doesn't matter. Take that for what it's worth, and please step up to the plate and support the Blue Shield. And I, I know that Senator Sessions and Senator Toomey are assisting you on that. Um, so are we hopeful? We're hopeful. Uh, fatally naive sometimes, but hopeful. Uh, Senator Senator Sessions, um, in particular on the Judiciary Committee, his mm-hmm. staff, his counsel have been great. They've been strong proponents for law enforcement issues. Senator Toomey, his lead counsel as well, have, have just been sort of unrelenting in embracing these issues and supporting us, helping to get the word out, helping to deliver our message during any floor discussion or floor debate opportunity. And they are working on right now a Senate companion version of the Blue Shield that we are optimistic will get introduced in both the House and Senate um, in spite of the sort of more current focus on this Iran nuclear debacle and um, obviously the forthcoming issues with the Congress in terms of the budget and the debt ceiling as well. Um, and then now we're also overwhelmed with refugee refugee issues. So it's sort of the flavor of the moment that gets the attention. Um but this is just too much of a priority. It's too important. And we're going to continue to work with our friends on the Hill who do respect and value what law enforcement officers across the country do every single day to maintain the freedoms that we all enjoy here in our country. And just so we're clear, this would um, add two levels from the federal sentencing guidelines. Correct. So what it would entail is because we want this to protect all law enforcement officers. Mm-hmm. So if it's an issue of, of uh, Title 18 111, we would appeal to the U.S. attorneys to adapt any assault, any targeted or biased crime committed against a local officer or a state officer or a county or tribal and pull it into the federal venue for the enhanced or the increased sentencing impact should the person be convicted of the biased violent crime or attempt committed against a law enforcement officer. And sometimes you even have the joint task force where you have everyone's in in the mix there with the state, local, federal, um, going after after fugitives and the like. Um, On this um, solemn talk, I know we have also the Ride and Run to Remember, which is a fun event, and I thought it would be nice to sort of end on a more hopeful kind of solidarity event of um, people coming together to support um, law enforcement. Um, So why don't we take our last and final break, and then you all can talk um, and tell everyone about the Ride and Run to Remember and um, how everyone should come out in October and participate. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit LTC.com. 
LTCFEDS.com today. That's LTCFEDS.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. And we're entering our last segment of the show and talking about the ride and run to remember. So, Steve, tell us about that. Sure. Uh, so the the law enforcement ride and run to remember will be held on uh, Saturday and Sunday, October 10th and 11th here in the D.C. area. And and like you mentioned, this is a, a, a fun event. It's designed to bring uh, law enforcement and uh, citizens together um, to to do some running or walking or, or bike riding um, in a couple of different locations here. And um, uh, we'd really love to have everybody come out and join us uh, for the, the fifth annual Ride and Run to Remember on October 10th and 11th. Uh, anybody who is interested in more information can go to www.rideandruntoremember.org and learn more or register. And um, I, I spent some time on the website looking at it, and uh, I know that um, there's a bunch of us in our office that will be participating on the 5K walk. Great. Uh, or <laughs> 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 we'll do the. You can I'm walk, you. people. You absolutely. don't have to always run. That's absolutely correct. And there are two levels of biking. I know, John, you're going to be. Uh, you can be biking, right? Are you? You you have me confused with somebody else who actually has stamina and, and endurance. <laughs> have you done it? I, I thought you had uh, biked in the past. It, I, I sponsor people who are are more more dedicated than 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 my lazy backside. But I'm there in spirit. But the I, bones in yes. the flesh yeah. lag. Yeah. John, you know, John, uh, John's absolutely right. He's been one of our strongest yeah, supporters. Yeah. Folioa has been a sponsor absolutely. of the event since the get go. Um, and, and Shaw Bransford Roth is mm-hmm. also a sponsor of the event. And uh, we're deeply appreciative of, of that support uh, from our sponsors, all of our sponsors. Um, mm-hmm. And again, on the website, there is a, a page dedicated to our sponsors, listing them uh, and with links over to them. Yeah. Uh so we are, uh, we're very thankful to all of the generous sponsors we have. And you can do 30 miles. You can do 55 miles on the bike. Two links to bike. Yep. Yeah, it's in uh, Southern Maryland, Prince George's yeah. County, uh, and into uh, Charles County a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a, a, a beautiful course. There are a couple of uh, challenges uh, in, built into the course. They're not huge challenges, um, but we've heard from some of our riders you know, we don't want to. We don't want a flat ride. Give us a little challenge here, and so they we try and mix that ride. up. Oh, I no, I. I'd yeah, want I didn't get to vote on that, Julie. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Now, a couple of years ago, we had more challenges in the route than we yeah. intended because we were affected the week before with some weather. Oh, so we had nice. people uh, really, really hitting some steep hills, hills and whatnot uh, on their ride, but uh, everybody made it safely through and and, and enjoyed it. So. Yeah, there, uh, there's a lot to do out at the National Harbor area, and that's where the start and finish line will be for the bike event on Sunday, October 11th. Uh, the, the walk and the run uh, start and finish at the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial here in D.C., uh, and it'll be a, a 5K route from there. And it stays in the district. Yeah, all of yeah. it stays in the district, exactly. Yeah, and then the National Harbor that's out in Maryland, mm-hmm. for all those that have never been, they have whole bunch of things going on there ferris wheel and restaurants i mean you can make it a day if you want to and wait for your people that are biking you sure Uh, can there's a a lot to do uh see eat drink Mm -hmm. um so it's a it's a great destination to you know uh congregate and assemble uh for this fun event and so what's the purpose what are you raising the money for uh we um the money we raise really goes to support the memorial fund and its activities uh you know we we have a lot of things that go on during national police week uh we uh engrave some 300 uh names on the memorial every year unfortunately mm-hmm. um so really it supports the work that the memorial fund does including uh, uh our uh our uh, growing officer safety work. And what about, um, do you need volunteers? If anyone doesn't, like John and me, doesn't really want to do any of the <laughs> biking. <laughs> well, if can, you're not... Can, can they still come down there and help you out? Um, absolutely. You know, um, to uh, 
to have uh, some 400 to 500 people run or walk a 5K and mm-hmm. then turn around and have another three or 400 people the next day um, on some really long bike rides. It takes a lot of organization and a lot of heavy lifting. And, uh, you know, we're certainly blessed just to have a wonderful group of volunteers who seem to return year after year after year, uh, just as dedicated as many of our riders, runners, and walkers. But we need hundreds of them to do this Mm. and to do it well. So anybody who's listening who doesn't think they could run, walk, or ride but still wants to be involved, uh, go to the website. There's volunteer information there. It's Day weekend. You can make a weekend of it. You sure can. um, It's usually real pretty around here. The other um, thing that during that time of year, absolutely. And the other thing that I'll, I'll just call out for folks who might be listening uh, and, and can't be with us here on site in Washington, um, there is a, a, a category we call virtual participation, and you could run, walk, ride at your own location, um, and whether that be in a local park or at your gym or mm-hmm. whatnot, um, you kind of have a little bit more flexibility to do what you want to do. Um, our virtual participants still receive all of the amenities, the participant shirt and finisher medal and, and whatnot. So, um, you know, I highly encourage people who maybe can't physically come to Washington or, or be with us that weekend uh, to consider uh, participating as a virtual participant. Again, um, the support goes to the Memorial Fund. And uh, um, we, uh, we like to have our virtual participants uh, share with us. Uh, I walked today or I ran or, mm-hmm. or whatnot. Uh, and, and there's a Facebook page there on the website where folks can post photos of their activities and efforts. Okay, that sounds all pretty amazing. Yeah, it's really a fun weekend. Um, you know, we, we celebrate law enforcement. We remember their service and sacrifice. But the, uh, uh, the, the intention of all of it is to have a good time. And, you know, and just to add to that, and, and again, I, I know this is such a sensitive topic with, with every group saying that their lives matter. Even though this is sponsored by law enforcement, this is really a community event. Mm-hmm. And what I would encourage everyone listening to this who is not in law enforcement, please come out and see that law enforcement offices are not the big bad wolf. We are actually here to serve you. Um, And I think this is a good opportunity to kind of get past some of the negative rhetoric that's been been floating all over the news. Let's come together as Americans. Let's all matter together. Let's turn this into a meaningful community event. Yes, we're honoring our fallen brothers and sisters, our fellow Americans who did die and make the ultimate sacrifice, as Steve explained very well and very clearly but it's also a time to bring law enforcement officers and the community together for a fun, relaxing, good time. We're all the same, flesh and blood. None of us come from Mars with bad intentions. Let's get <laughs> together and, and just celebrate life here in America and have a great weekend together. I, th- I agree. I think that that is um, one thing that can help bridge differences is people that don't have any members, any family members, any friends in the law enforcement community, go down there, meet, meet a few. It, you, it sure can. In fact, I, uh, I received a phone call last week mm-hmm. from um, uh, a, a friend of ours who had participated the past couple of years um, from the state of Pennsylvania, and she wanted to let me know that her schedule wouldn't allow her to be here this year, but she stared, shared a story um, last year uh, of an officer that she met while participating in the Ride and Run to Remember um, struck up a friendship. They're still in touch today, and I guess that friendship has even grown more. So uh, what John described absolutely does happen. You do get an opportunity to meet lots of really, really cool people, have a good time, uh, and, and you learn and understand that, you know, Law enforcement officers uh, are just like us. They're human beings, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have feelings. Uh, their their lives absolutely matter. And, uh, gosh, there's some really, really interesting men and women um, who serve in this profession and uh, also are really great people and fun to be around. I would just beg to differ. I don't think they're all like us because, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're usually running one way and the first responders are running toward the, the danger. And that I think that takes some Indeed. unique uh, yeah. character and there's just something pretty special Indeed, about yeah. just, as John said, willing to do it all over again, despite knowing 
no what one. would happen. Sure, the dangers. It's it's pretty pretty awe inspiring, but um, certainly everyone should go down and meet them. You'd be surprised; they're probably in your neighborhood, and um, certainly a lot of fun. Anyone who's been around for Police Week knows that they like to have fun. Um, <laughs> as they take over DC in the spring. So. <laughs> but um, any final thoughts? I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot and get all maudlin, but it is September 11th, and um, I thought I'd let you all finish out the show. Well, uh, I'll, I'll share a, a thought I had. Um, you know, I, I look out the window here and see the blue sky this morning and crisp temperature here in Washington. And it reminds me of that morning, uh, that morning when all hell broke loose. It seemed like, you know, from the civilian perspective, we had no idea what was going on. We just knew it was something really bad. Mm -hmm. And the day just got worse from there. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm reflective today and I'm hopeful. Yeah, and I'll just add that in some of my meetings on the Hill regarding the 9-11, the James Adroga Health and Compensation Act, that I would appeal to any congressional staffer listening to this show now, please keep in mind, go look at a flag. Look at every star in that flag. This event impacted every star, not just New York, Pennsylvania, and Washington, D.C. Every star in that flag, we're a part of one flag in one country. So please embrace the solemn impact, the meaning of this day. Recognize it. Don't necessarily define it by the number of constituents who were impacted by it. Look at it as something that is an attack on our country. And please share the the moment that we all share in, in honoring and remembering the ultimate sacrifice of our heroes, Julie, as you so eloquently stated, ran into harm's way to rescue fellow Americans. And as you said, and we'll take it to our grave, we do it again in a heartbeat. Mm. Mm. And I would echo the nationwide impact. And another thing I remember is just hearing about other first responders coming from all over the country to help out those folks in New York and Pennsylvania and D.C. So It was very um, inspiring that day for me personally to be down there and see uniforms, both law enforcement and fire uh, department and rescue, that I didn't recognize. And I'd squint and try and get the soot out of my eyes and read the patch in their arm. Mm. And it was inspiring. And let me tell you, any bit of inspiration went a long way that day and, and the month to, and months to follow. So you're absolutely right, Julie. That was inspiring. Mm. I'm glad we were able to leave it on a hopeful, sort of inspiring note. Um, and um, hopefully in the future we'll get your, your laws passed and certainly get the renewal on the important compensation health care. Um, anytime one of the 9-11 folks die, um, it is a reminder that it is a long-lasting impact physically and mentally on quite a number of first responders. Um so that's all we have for the show today, and thank you for joining us. I hope we didn't um, end on too maudlin of a note, but uh, they're just very inspiring people, and I and I hope you um, feel the same way I do. It brings a lot of hope that these folks are out there working hard in our community and um, for our country. And um, Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth, and I hope everyone has a wonderful weekend.